Welcome to Do It For The Gram and Enneagram podcast with your host, certified Enneagram coach, Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our communities and ourselves. I'm super excited to be here. This is a series where I'm really honoring women in the Enneagram space because they're doing amazing, amazing work. This episode has me extra excited. A super phenomenal person on here that I'm excited to introduce you to, and many of you probably already know her. Vanessa, can you please introduce yourself? Hey, I am super thrilled to be here as well. So hi, everyone. My name is Vanessa Fernandez. I am founder and a coach over at the Enneagram Workshop and just love getting to help people be more human, help people be more fully aware of themselves and step into their fullness. So yeah, this is going to be fun. Have a good time today. the Enneagram? Are you serious about growing and being liberated? Do you love to learn and grow in a safe community? Well, my Kaizen Community Enneagram program is perfect for you. I teach 12 weekly classes on Thursday night. I am only taking around 15 people. I would rattle off more details and all the benefits, but I'm pretty sure you would rather read them and get back to this episode. So simply go to kaizen-enneagram-community.mn.co or check out the show notes or find the IG page bio with the link tree or go to kaizencareers.com to find out more information. Learn and grow in safe community with others who love the Enneagram. Sign up while spots are still available. Hope to see you there. Yeah, so I think it's awesome because, you know, I actually got to meet you in person when in Stockholm because it's so interesting Like, I've met so many people on Zoom. I think I know more people through Zoom than I do, like, in real life now, right? Yeah. So, it's coming back. So, it was really, really good to meet you, like, in person. Yeah. (laughs) It's different, but I love it. Yeah, that was so fun. Seriously, it is different. So, tell me a little bit and tell the audience a little bit about the Enneagram Workshop and, like, what you do with the Enneagram. Because you spoke a little bit about who you are and what you do with the Enneagram specifically. Yeah. So when I started the Enneagram workshop, I wanted to take the Enneagram, at least in the Instagram content creation sphere, a little bit deeper. Uh, You know, there's a lot of fun stuff out there. I like to have a lot of fun with the Enneagram, but I was finding that with my clients, when we go just a couple layers deeper, the way that the heart breaks open, the way that people start to find not only greater awareness, but also compassion kind of side by side, That was really what was making me excited about doing Enneagram work. So I was like, I wonder if I can just take people a little deeper. I didn't know if anyone would be interested in going deeper on Instagram. I didn't know if this was just like, well, let's just keep it light over here. But to my pleasant surprise, I've been able to just build a beautiful community of people who are really hungry for both deeper application of the Enneagram, but then also, like I said, deeper compassion for oneself. I'm actually doing a workshop right now. I'm writing a workshop right now that's kind of speaking to 
How do we ethically use the Enneagram? How do we use it with integrity? And a huge thing for me is because the Enneagram cuts so deep to the heart, if there's not also an increased capacity for compassion, it can become really dark, hurtful, and dangerous. (laughs) So having those two, you know, yes, self-awareness, also self-compassion, that's kind of been what I've been leading with in all of my spaces that I show up. And it's been uh, just delicious, really good. I love the way you describe it as delicious. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we're both foodies, so, you know, it's got (laughs) it. That is true. Listen, listen, good food. Oh, my goodness. That is, oh, Stockholm, (laughs) Europe, I spent quite a bit on food when I look back. I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't know I spent that much, but um, worth it. Yep. Don't regret none of it either. (laughs) (laughs) Don't regret none of it. So I think one thing you bring up that's really amazing, and I think this may even tie to your own inner work, because I think one of the ways to measure the quality of maybe Enneagram teacher, facilitator, coach, whatever, is their ability to do their own inner work. And so I think you mentioning self-awareness, but also with self-compassion, I feel like that may tie into your own inner work. So can you share some of the inner work that you're currently doing? Because I know you are doing a lot. You know, the short span of time that I've known you, it's amazing to always meet people who like are so serious about their inner work. So even when we're in tough spots, we're like, let me look at self as well. So I really appreciate that in you. So can you share a little bit maybe currently where you are in a work-wise? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I lead with type three. And so work, I'm there. You tell me there's work to do. I'm just like, all right, let's go. And it's funny, even my business that I named it the workshop, because I'm just like, what better place to be than a workshop? We're just going to like get into it. But when I first started approaching my inner work, it really was from this place of, there's something wrong with me. I need to find out what that is and fix it. And, you know, it's going to take me lots of hustle and it's hard. And it's, you know, all of that, which just plays into my own type structure. It's just what I'm attracted to anyways. The problem with that though, was that the shame becomes overwhelming, right? The shame of trying to find what is wrong with me. Because what I realize is I will always find it. If I'm looking for it, I will always find it. And then I can make a whole story about what is wrong with me and just amplify the shame and amplify the self-loathing. And I realized that I don't think this can be the work. I don't think this is actually liberating me. I think this is actually keeping me stuck in my type structure of there's always more to do. There's always more to work on. You're not enough. And if you shame yourself enough, then maybe you know, you'll claw your way to some sort of worth or value. So even my inner work was part of my understanding of where I'm using my type to get free of my type and just get deeper into my type. Bringing in compassion was like this light shining into all this dark, like uh, working on myself, you know, just this light that came in and was like, what if there is nothing wrong with you? What if you have learned patterns because they helped you survive. And now you might want to expand beyond those patterns. And none of that has to be shameful. And none of that even has to be resolved right away. Because again, as a three, I could have this urgency, like, I got to do it right now. And the time, the clock is ticking and let's go. 
And what if none of that has to be resolved right away? And that took my inner work to like this exhale, just like, oh, whoa. Like, what if I could just be? What if I could exist outside of shame? What if I, and it's taken me a while to even still have my nervous system be okay with me existing outside of a shame structure because that's like I crave it. As bondaging as it is, it's like, that's all I know. So it's taken me a while to kind of be at peace with who I am and myself. And then the kicker is I still want to work on myself. Like I didn't lose that desire to expand and grow and explore new parts of myself and wonder why I have these internal messages and confront them. But all of that is coming from this like beautiful internal natural place rather than well, I got to be like this and I'm going to make my steps and my goals to get there because then I'll be more worthy. It's just like, I want to naturally expand because that's just who we are as humans. Like we're never stagnant. We're always curious and interested and feeling things. And right, it's this organic expansion that I found that has surprised me the most because I thought, well, without a big bad motivator, like standing over my shoulder, why would I do anything? And it's like, oh, there's another motivator outside of shame. And that's been really lovely to know. I love that. It resonates a lot even with my growth work too. So something you said mentions just like how we can go into our inner work with the same strategy. <laughs> yep. That got us to the point where we're at. And what got us here won't get us there a lot of times. And so yep. at the beginning, I used to love, I mean, it was like this excitement buzz like, I was like, oh, I'm going to go do some inner work, some growth, right? Like, oh, my goodness. And for some reason, I thought that excitement, that buzz was going to actually help me to truly grow, like taking my type structure right into what I'm doing. And then it became very difficult and painful. And I was like, oh, and it wasn't quick. I'm like, hey, I'm going to go in, going to work real hard for a short period of time. We're going to get it done. It's going to be convenient. and going to feel good afterwards. No, mm-mm. So learning to, like what you're saying, one, for me, looking at fear, you know, me being fear-based and really looking at it and saying, oh, wow. One, I had to develop a new relationship with fear, right? And then work through it and work through slowly. Oh, so, so wait, tell me what that means to have a new relationship with fear. Sorry, I know you're the host, but I'm curious about that. <laughs> no, you're good. People love the dialogue. The new relationship with fear, because growing up where I'm from, being a Black male, fear seems like a weakness, it's something you cannot have or show. And so, you know, you turn that emotion to something else or you call it something else or logically you do something. So maybe you say it's anger. You make it anger or anything, right? Or irrational stuff, right? But changing it is realizing that it's not a weakness. You need to pay attention to it. It's actually there for you. Like you said earlier, you know, we have these parts of us because they are, one, at one time, definitely needed to protect us for a reason. And so it's like recognizing that I need to be able to listen. It doesn't have control, but I need to be forewarned about certain things, right? Or look at certain things, unpack certain things. Maybe there's something beneath that, which it always is. <laughs> so it's kind of changed my relationship with fear, not seeing it as a weakness, but seeing it as a part of who I am and being able to have that healthy relationship with it, where it's like, oh, I'm not going to avoid, freeze, fight, or flight in this situation. Let me pause and let me actually like let this unravel some so I can really figure out what's happening, what's going on. Uh, so. Yeah. And that's what I love so much about 
doing this work from not from a place of there's something wrong with you and and don't be afraid don't have fear or shame is not you know your friend get it out of here right any of that sort of coming against our defense mechanisms at least for me it only strengthens them it only creates more of an energetic charge around them and so getting curious around it sitting with it oftentimes i do some somatic work with my clients and you know, we'll, we'll be feeling into the body and they'll find that place where there's either grief or shame or fear or what have you. And of course they freak out at first because it feels like a lot. There's a yeah. lot of energy there, which I get, that's how I am too. But one of my favorite visuals to give them is what if that part of you, let's say it's grief, for example, is just sitting on a park bench and I just want you to sit right next to it. You don't have to go into it. You don't have to talk to it. You don't have to do anything, but I just want you to sit shoulder to shoulder. Maybe your shoulder touches. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you grab their hand. Maybe you don't, but just let yourself be with that without making it go anywhere or seeing it as an enemy. And what does that allow you to experience? And it's uh, it's so good. It's just like Mm -hmm. the way that they get to know these parts of themselves when it's not told to them as this is wrong or bad, or we don't want to feel that, or I don't want to face that, right? All of these resistances robs us of the wisdom that comes when we just sit next to it. Just be like, hey, how you doing? What are you here for? Like, do you need me? Do you need me to hold you, listen to you, just sit next to you? And it's it cracks things wide open. And then the awareness that comes up I mean, I I was just working with this one client last week and she had so many insights after she let herself just sit with her grief. All of a sudden it was like, oh shit, this is why this and this is why that. And all of this is just rushing out of her. Whereas at the beginning of the session, she was just like, I don't know. I can't figure it out. I'm not sure. It's just so much hidden within our grief, within our fear, within our shame. And uh, just that befriending is like, hmm wild. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit more. I really like the fact you talk about somatically when we're able to sit with a lot of times, generally a specific emotion that we don't really allow ourselves to be with. And I bring this up because it's like there's so many distractions in life. It's it's crazy. Like there's so many distractions, even trying to do quote unquote good stuff (laughs) for people and different things. There's so many distractions from us actually being able to go in, work on self and spend time where would be best and most beneficial for our health and our growth. Mm -hmm. And so tying it to the somatics of it, because one thing I've noticed, I was at a retreat a couple of weeks ago and I had six days to deal with some crap that I had. Like Six days to deal with some real crap. And it was like, it was a lot. It was a whole lot. <laughs> I cried more tears in those six days than I had probably in the last six years. <laughs> I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And so one of the things I think that I want to hear you speak on is kind of just the importance of finding a way and finding time to spend uninterrupted to do the inner work and Maybe even because you talk about both of us are big proponents of this, like the somatic work. Mm -hmm. For those listening, if you have not delved or dove into the somatic parts of it, this is 
It's the what you just said. It cracks open. It unlocks so much wisdom. So can you maybe speak to the importance of the somatic work and being able to create time for self to actually engage uninterrupted in this stuff we need to be able to do? Yeah. Ugh. So I am an independent doer. Like I teach myself whatever I want to learn. I do it all by myself. Like I'm just, that's my jam. But I will say, and maybe other people, other types, this is not true. But for me, I could not do it alone. I agree. I could not do somatic work alone. First of all, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I like my first couple of times working with a somatic practitioner, I guess, you know, she's like, tell me what the felt sense of your body is. I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I mean, I'm hungry. Like, is that what you mean? You're like, my ability to feel into my body was very limited. I didn't even realize how limited it was. And it has taken me years to really, with her guidance, understand what is it even that I'm feeling in my body. And I know you and I have both taken Marion Gilbert's somatic, and that's like a kind of a separate thing than my weekly practice that I do. But I remember that one of the first modules that I did with her, and she's talking about being aware of all these different sensations, like the temperature of the air of the room and your feet flat on the ground and where the breath is going in your body. And I was like freaking out. I was like, this is too many things. Like, I can't be aware of all these things simultaneously. It's just, it was like too much stimulus to, to be present to. And it was so overwhelming to me that all of this was happening in my body all the time. And I was just never aware of it. I was just never even conscious to it. So I would say finding someone who can baby step you into your body and help you feel what is it like when I'm anxious? What does that actually mean? You know, when I work with my clients, they'll say, I'm just feeling really anxious. And I'm like, okay, that's an emotion. But like, what is the body feeling? Oh, uh, my stomach is like squeezing. Okay. What, what does it feel like? Oh, it's squeezing like a rag when you wring it out. Okay. Like that's the detail that you want. That's the, you want to like really sink into what is it actually like? Oh, it's like ants crawling all over my skin or it's, you know, just actually feeling what the body is feeling, not translating it into a story or translating it into an emotion because all of that is adding meaning to the direct experience. And of course, whatever meaning we add is influenced by our type, it's influenced by our ego, it's influenced by what we've identified ourselves to be. So it's just so important to begin to learn what is just the direct experience that I'm having without any meaning. And then we can start saying, okay, it could mean this that I think it means, could also mean this, could also mean this, could also mean this. What if it didn't always mean exactly what my type structure needs it to mean every time? What if other meanings were available to me? Like that's all part of that expansion of who I know myself to be beyond just, I am a type three who does X, Y, and Z. Actually, no. Actually, that's the story that has made the most sense for me, but uh, there's, there's more here. So I would just say it's, it's so important to do it with someone because it really is like not intuitive. I feel at least again, for me, I don't know. Is that your experience, Milton? Because I I couldn't do it on my own. It's me again. 
in another one of those funny commercials to remind you that the Kaizen Community Enneagram program is having open sessions. I do two cohorts a year. One starts in January, one starts in August. In this program, you will feel heard, seen, and connected. You will leave the program with way more knowledge, a deeper level of growth, and some lifelong friends. To sign up and learn more, go to kaizen-enneagram-community.mn.co or see the show notes or the Instagram bio link tree. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, I think you definitely need someone to help guide you because we aren't taught this, especially in Western society. We're not taught to listen to our bodies. We have no clue unless you have a specific practice you grew up with and you had the home base that taught you these things. Honestly, we really only know how to kind of think with our brains and our heads and our minds. We really don't know how to listen to our hearts and emotions and desires and wants. We don't know how to listen to our bodies. So I find it the same way. Like I had to literally learn... And my first, I guess, real like catch or surprise body work was I was in a workshop with Marion Gilbert and Helen Palmer, 2019, I think. And um, Helen Palmer was very interesting. She had us doing in and down breathing for like 45 minutes in this extra cold room. And um, I found my body that day. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you that. I was like, oh, it's a lot going on. I'm so ready to leave and move right now. But everyone here is still doing this practice. Oh, my goodness. But I had an experience after that. And that really showed me like I was in my body a whole lot. And I was like, oh, my, freaked me out. I think it is overwhelming. And then it becomes really empowering and clarifying. Like, I, I know that I can sometimes get in these places where I'm like, especially if I'm really anxious about something. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Uh, like, I'm feeling, I don't know what I'm feeling. And and so the body, the more that I come into it, and I think having a meditation practice or a grounding centering practice of your own that you do alone is really important as like a supplement to working with someone else. Because over time, my body becomes like a a safe place for me. It becomes a home place for me. It becomes a source of wisdom because it's not a place where there are stories being made up. It's just the true experience. And so for me, who I'm often in my head and I'm often unaware of my heart, when I come into my body, I'm like, okay, what are you feeling, Vanessa? And I just start building my awareness from there. What am I feeling in my feet? What am I feeling in my belly? What am I feeling in my neck, in my chest? You know, as a three, I just have all this energy usually just swirling right here, just wanting to go out and and being able to even work with that and breathe it back into my belly. So it's coming, it has to come through my heart rather than, you know, know, around and never touching my heart. Like there's just so much that I have loved working with and so much safety within myself that I've built from doing somatic work. And then when you can like transmit, especially if you are a coach or you work with other people, when all that energy is coming from the body and you're really in your body and you can transmit that to others, it's like a whole other level of impact. And it's really, really beautiful. Yes. And it's it's something that like you explained it well with words, but it doesn't even do it justice to feel like no. transmission from somebody. Like it's like, <laughs> oh my, this is yeah, this is on another level. Like this is Yeah. So I completely get that. And I think one thing it's important for too, and I know this for sure, like our body remembers everything that's happened to it. 
even when our brains forget, or it's locked away somewhere hidden in our brains that we can't retrieve, our bodies remember everything. And I'll give a quick story. In one of those Marianne Gilbert's workshops, we did a meditation that was around water. And I mean, this is after we've been doing meditation. We've been working on stuff. We've been in the body. And all of a sudden, my heart and my chest started to feel like really tight. Like they start to clench up. I can barely breathe. And all of a sudden, this memory came up of when I was like, I don't know, eight, nine, maybe 10, where this, like I almost drowned. This kid at the pool, like I think he was playing, but like he was kicking me under in like the 10 foot and like I couldn't get up. Right. And somebody had to pull me out. And I forgot about that. Didn't consider it trauma, nothing. But at that moment, like that came up and I was like, my whole body starts to, I want to say seize, didn't do that, but like it was freezing and it was like, it froze. And so I had to breathe through it. I was like, oh my goodness, this is something I haven't dealt with. Yeah. In I don't know how many years. And uh, it came up that day. A lot of people are nervous to go into the body because of that. Right. Because you don't know what's going to be released. You don't know what you might remember, what you might feel. And that's another reason why I feel like having someone to be with you in the somatic inquiry is so yes vital. Because I know for me, when I have those memories come up or, you know, I'm touching into an emotion that just feels like, I mean, some of my emotions just feel like they're these like sucking holes of like blackness that I'm just going to be consumed by and everything inside of me, like you said, is seizing up and like, I can't go into this. I don't know what to do with this. And to have someone with you to, first of all, co-regulate just their presence of like, you are okay. You are just here with me feeling a feeling, like knowing that you have that grounding presence. But then also to lead you through what kind of resourcing you might need. Yes. As the nervous system is being activated, there are resourcing tools, whether it is to hold yourself and literally make your body feel the holding that is here for you, whether it is to ground and like lay on the floor, whether it is to take breaths into the parts of you that are still open, even though there are parts that are contracting. There's so many ways to resource ourselves that when you are starting to get sucked into a memory or sucked into an emotion, you don't always, you're not conscious to access that resource. So having someone with you who can even just remind you to breathe. Hey, breathe through this memory. Feel the ground beneath your feet. Like, yes, in your mind, you're in the water, you're under the water. But if you can also feel your grounding as you're experiencing that memory, it balances. And it gives that center point to then work through the memory rather than have to run away from it or get consumed by it. So that is another reason why I think you got to have somebody, at least at the beginning, because it's just a lot. Yeah. Because you need a toolkit or a toolbox, a tool bag or something of different things that you can do to help resource yourself when something happens. This happened actually last week. I spoke at the University of Memphis and I took one of my mentees to be a photographer. Is he a good photographer? No, he is not good. But I wanted to help expose him to more things and different things. And so as we're driving there, he like in the car yells like, oh my goodness, look at that. We look over and it's like this car is driving like off the highway down this hill and it flips. It was crazy because it was just like, what the world is going on? And it was a traumatic experience. So both of us, like I'm still driving. And it was like, wow, that was crazy, right? And then uh, I was talking to him and I was like, yeah, that's really messed up. I'm glad I saw somebody running down there and a couple of cars stopped because part of me wanted to stop and go, but I had to go to this and it was weird. And uh, for a second when I was driving, all of a sudden he was just silent. 
He went on his phone, nothing. He was in freeze. And so as soon as we went to this store, I said, all right, I want you to do something. It's going to seem a little weird, but it's, it's kind of like a somatic shake. I want you to shake your body like a dog does when they see something in terror to actually move that energy. And him being like 14-ish, he was like, you know, he's probably like, I don't want to do that stuff or whatever. So when we got in the store and he didn't see me, I came up there, I just started shaking him. I just started shaking him <laughs> because he was clearly in freeze. I had to shake myself because it was really traumatic. I was like, oh my goodness, that's crazy to see that all of a sudden. So like you're saying, but just understanding and having that resource so that that experience, like we do something with that energy. It doesn't just stay lodged in a spot in us and until something else happens and all of a sudden it comes back and triggers us somehow. So 100%, 100% on with that. Oh man, I recently did like a retreat, an in-person retreat um, at the beginning of the year. And I told everyone on the retreat, like we we are going to dance. Like that's part of the retreat. Good. And I don't just mean like hippy dippy, like swirly dance. <laughs> I mean like shake your ass dance. Like I mean like shake everything dance because- right. I mean, like stomp the ground. I mean, like let all of the energy that wants to move through you, move through you. And there was a lot of fear from several people because they, you know, and they're like, oh no, like I don't really dance. And I was like, okay, obviously I don't force anyone to do anything at any of the stuff that I have. It's always an invitation, but I always tell my clients there is no healing. And maybe this is a bold statement, but this is what I feel. (laughs) There is no healing. outside of movement and movement that is deep and true, not just like I'm doing the cha-cha slide and so I'm following the movements that I'm being told to do. I'm talking about movement that is like coming from your gut, coming from your heart. That's right. It's the body that moves you, not you that moves the body, that kind of movement shaking, dancing, all the things, even vocalizing. I have a lot of my clients. I tell them, go in your car, drive in your car, be safe, but like drive in your car and just scream, like let it. Yep. And when I first started doing this, I was shocked at the scream. At the, I thought my scream was going to be like, like kind of like a little girl scream, like, ah, you know, like ah. mm-hmm. it was not, <laughs> it was like a roar scream and I was just like holy shit I did not know that I had that anger inside of me I didn't know that I had that power inside of me and there's just something about letting that flow through that again creates like trust with yourself oh yeah it was so so big I did something similar, but it wasn't on purpose. I was at a conference. (laughs) Was it before the Enneagram? I knew the Enneagram? I don't know. It was years and years ago. But I was at this conference with a friend and they told us to like do this. They had like a motion do screen, like to scream. Mm -hmm. Then they do it again, scream. And I'm telling you, by the end of it, I ended up in tears. I was like, what is happening? Because there's so much that we don't release. We take in so much junk, trauma, stuff we never should take in or our personality absorbs it and we don't know and we hold on to it. That's the worst part. Like we cling to it. Yeah. And so that releasing, like you said, of like, okay, I need to get in my car. I need to roll out and I just need to scream. I just need to let it out. My whole body needs to feel me exhaling, like letting out some of this stuff because it's just too much. Yeah. Okay. Can I transition a little bit? Because... Go ahead. Okay. So part of some of the work I'm doing right now with Jessica Dixon, actually... JD. I know, she's so great. Is looking at how 
the levels of health, the levels of our Enneagram type health, like what is a healthy one? What is a healthy two? Is potentially been informed by a culture of whiteness. And when I say a culture of whiteness, I mean a culture of niceness. Don't disrupt the status quo-ness. Be a sweet, good, lovely person-ness. And sometimes, like for example, type ones, I don't know that a healthy type one is never bothered by the injustice of the world and doesn't judge anyone or anything anymore. I feel like a healthy type one, can I curse on this? Eh, maybe not. You already did. Drop it like it's hot. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know that like a type one, of course, I feel like anxious to curse as I'm talking about type ones because I'm like, oh. <laughs> is supposed to discern what is not right in a scenario. And when that discernment is not just an arbitrary standard, but they feel into like this deep, like, no, things should not be this way. They use their anger and they use their doing and they rip down structures of oppression. And and that to me, a healthy one can be angry. A healthy one can feel all that they need to feel and judge when that judgment is coming from depth rather than surface. And I don't see that in levels of health. Oftentimes levels of health are like this really like thinned out, like socially acceptable, Mm -hmm. never rubs anyone the wrong way, never has any sharp edges anymore. And that's how we know we're healthy. And that bothers me because I do feel like that bypasses a lot of our somatic truth and makes us feel ashamed of some of the best parts of us because they don't fit into this box of sweet and nice and good and like almost this sugary syrupy like never never messes things up never causes a ruckus never disrupts the status quo because the status quo is being protected so i feel like if we get into somatic work it's going to disrupt maybe even what we think of as healthy, what our type might look like in health. And I don't know that that's a bad thing. I'm kind of here for that. I totally agree with you on that because it's like the way that white supremacy culture has permeated through our society in ways that we still don't know and see that affect us and all of us are impacted by, unfortunately. It's kind of like at the retreat that I was at, one thing they encouraged me to do as a black man is that they were like, you need to explore and share more of your anger. And I was like, skirt, skirt, you sure about that? I was like, hold up now. (laughs) But because society as a black man, a person of color, period, like if we get angry, all of a sudden, it's like this person is trying to harm and hurt the world or something, right? I'm just frustrated. I'm just mad. And I was having a conversation with a really good friend before this retreat, and we were sitting down at a restaurant, and she asked me a question or something about anger. And this is how I know that when they said I need to, like, really share and be, like, get into my anger more, where I knew it was, it was real, because she asked me a question around something about, like, how I present myself and, like, how I, like, share anger or I'm scared of people think that I may be, like, the angry black man or something. And before I could speak, I started to tear up. It was random because, you know, I'm eating. So I don't usually cry when I eat. And I usually don't cry that often. But it's been happening a lot recently because I'm doing my work. So I'm eating. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my goodness. And I said to her, 
I said, I'd be damned if I let someone take my anger from me. And I like was, I was dropping tears. And I was like, oh my goodness, there's so much fire right there. So that's really helped me. And uh, even this past week, I shared some really clean anger, which was good. And it felt so good. Yeah. It wasn't destructive. It was very honest, very truthful, very blunt. Other people were thanking me for it, to be honest. Mm, Good. Well, and that's important because if they're going to invite you to be more open with your anger, are they also doing the work to create an environment that can hold your anger? Facts. Yes. Because it's one thing to invite, and I'm not trying to judge anything that that this speaks more, I guess, to my experience, because there's been times where I've been invited Oh, Vanessa, show up with more authenticity around your stories, your experience, your pain. And yet it's almost like you don't know what you're asking for because you want that. And yet when I express that, have you done the work around managing your own nervous system and your own reactivity so that you are a safe holding for whatever I need to bring in? So there is like a mixture of Yes, inviting, you know, people of color to share more fully their emotional experience, but also doing the work so that when that's shared, there isn't a reactivity that then makes it not a safe space for that. So I think it's like this kind of 100% agree. The holding and the bringing in. Yeah. No, cuz that's what I said when I was there. I was like <laughs> after they said that I was like, well, <laughs> Me being a black male in this society, I do have to watch myself in situations. I cannot express that anger in certain situations because it could mean my life. So I'm like, I'm going to work on it and I'm going to make sure I I utilize it in a healthy way in in spaces that I feel that I am safe enough. But I said, I, I still have to watch it because the reality, when I leave this space that we were in, it's different. It's just different. Like we've created a safe space where we were at, but outside of this place... I'm still a black man in America. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's really important when we are doing inner work or inviting others into their inner work. And that's why I don't try to make anybody dance at my retreat, although I thought about it. You know, there is something to be said about honoring what our nervous systems feel safe enough doing. We cannot expand too quickly, we cannot outpace the inner work. And this is where, you know, I'm sure both of us like hate the slowness of it. True. <laughs> that it's this slow expansion. You can't just say, oh, I'd really like to experience more anger or dance or this, that, and the other, and just jump straight in. There's reasons why that has not been available to us as an expression. There's reasons why we haven't felt safe to be so fully embodied. And those reasons have to be honored. And yes, challenged and worked with, but it's it's a slow process and it really doesn't, in fact, I have many times tried to blow past my nervous system. Like my nervous system was telling me, Vanessa, you know, I don't feel safe doing that. And I was like, well, we're doing it because, you know, I need to do that as a form of knowing that I'm more healed than, you know, I was before. So I'm just going to force myself to do it. And that is a further violation of myself. That's a further saying to myself, I need you at a different place. You're not good enough the way you are right now. All this resistance, I don't like it. So we're just going to blow past it. And so even in that, it was like, again, slow down, be with who you are. Let that be okay. Sit on that park bench right next to that fear 
and and see what expansion might be possible rather than you know bulldozing through yeah whatever I'm feeling. No, but I think you're completely correct. So us being coaches, trainers, practitioners, consultants in this space, when we are in a learner's position, we're usually the only person of color, if not one of the two people of color in the room. And so when you talk about feeling safe in a room, especially when they say, let's do an activity or something, or they they move bodies and different things. And as much as I love to move my body, oh my goodness, and you too. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> as much as we love to move our bodies, the feeling of being safe is not always there for us being people of color. Like, one, I don't want to become a spectacle. I don't want to be like, oh, look at them. Oh, my goodness. Look how they move their body. Ah, no, no, no. I don't need all that, you know? And so there is a layer of that. Really, every time we enter a space where we're learning, because majority of the Enneagram space is white, you know? So just how do you, how do you experience that? I mean... <laughs> So sometimes I do want to be a spectacle because I'm like, hey. True, true. Me too, a little but, bit. Um, <laughs> but that also takes me out of my own experience of it and robs me of just being. Right. And not performing. So that's where I don't, like you said, when it's a place of like, this is my time to do my inner work, which is so rare for me because I'm so you know, just giving, 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 doing, doing, doing for others. It's when I do have those spaces where it's just for me, I really don't want any moment robbed by even someone. And I I struggle with this because I do want to be helpful to others. But even when people are asking me to share and educate them on what it's like to have a different experience, either culturally or what have you, a part of me just wants to be like, hey, I'm not here to teach you right now. I'm here to receive. Like, I'm not here to be the educator or to take time away. And I don't know, maybe that's selfish, but it's just that I have a resistance around being the different one and then being singled out in a way of like, well, why don't you share what your experience is like as this, that, and the other? And there's just a part of me that's like, can I not, can I just be here and like receive without that added job. But there is also another part of me that's like, I'm happy to help. And but it's a conflicting space, I guess, for me at times. It is It's part of the fatigue, the racial battle fatigue to a degree. It's like, yes, I can help in this area, but I'm not here to help. Yeah. Like at the same time, it's like, it's like, I want to as well, because I want our world to be better. But at the same time, I don't know if I had a capacity to help you all right now, because I'm trying to do and work on me. I 100% get that. And so it's just so interesting. Ah, I wish other people could understand who are not people of color. Like just the feeling when you enter a room and it's like, wow, very few people here really kind of get it. Yeah, it's been really interesting kind of layering over the somatic work with then entering spaces like this, because the more that I'm with my body and aware of my body, I'm finding so much more ability to feel into the nuances that are happening within me when I enter those spaces to feel into like, oh, okay, like there's a little part of my neck that is squeezing up because I'm noticing, or there's a part of me that's wanting to posture in a way that will somehow um, give me what I perceive to be more power because I'm feeling at like a power deficit because of who else is in the room. And and just noticing all of that, it comes from the body. 
And it, it does give me a lot of awareness to say, do I work with that reactivity and allow it to fall away because this is a safe space? Or do I say, you know what, this reactivity, I'm noticing it and I'm going to keep it on. I'm keeping on my armor because I am feeling that this is not a safe space. So even just having the liberty to know when I get to keep my armor and when I want to let it go has been really powerful for me because sometimes it's not I don't know, maybe I'll get to a place of enlightenment where it is fine for me to go anywhere without my armor. But as it stands today, there are definitely places, people and situations where I choose to keep on my type structures armor. And I am 100% okay with that. And I'm just like, this is how it needs to be right now. But I like having the awareness and the choice that feels like a growth for me (laughs) to be in that space. Right. I think one of the biggest things that i focus on or that comes up for me in these places it's like I am so serious about my inner work I get to a point mentally where I'm like forget these people like (laughs) that's where I have to go a lot of times and I'll be like forget these people what they think or whatever I'm here at whatever where I'm like to grow to heal to move forward and that has helped me it's more complex than that but it's helped me in a lot of ways for that to be like okay what you're on and the, the journey you're on is way bigger than what these folks around here think about me. So that has really helped me. And I think you mentioned some of that prior to talking about this. So what is, transition a little bit, what are you and Jessica D. Dixon doing? Like, what, what is this? Can you explain, share a little bit more? I, I would love to know a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> it's so fun. We are, uh, you can edit this out. We're fucking shit up. Like, it is so fun. <laughs> it is so fun to do it with her. <laughs> So what we're doing is we have created a coaching program called Expanding the Enneagram, where we are looking at how the dominant culture, we can call it whiteness culture, patriarchy, capitalism, they're kind of all, you know, they're all like mixed in there together. So how dominant culture may be, aka absolutely is, influenced how Enneagram is taught and applied. And it's not even a judgment on any of the legacy teachers that we have all learned from. We understand that everyone teaches from a bias. Everyone teaches from their own perspective. Everyone teaches from their own cultural context. And that is absolutely okay. And it is our responsibility to identify and understand those cultural contexts and then try, if we can, to pull apart what is cultural context and what is sort of deep core Enneagram work and structure so that Enneagram can be more widely applied to traditionally marginalized identities so that we have a more liberating approach to levels of health rather than if you become this level of health, you will never be a problem to the dominant culture. We're not about that. So that's what the coaching program is doing. And it's most of the participants are white and they are so beautiful and brave to be in this group. And Jessica and I both have this approach to liberation work that says like, we don't need to shame anyone into doing liberation work. We don't need anyone to pity other people. And that's why they're doing liberation work. We don't need people to feel so bad about themselves. And they're such a bad person. And that's why they should do liberation work. But like, no, no, do liberation work, because this dominant culture structure is affecting you. Because this is dehumanizing you because you will benefit from the liberation of us all. But we're definitely 
you know, piece by piece, just sort of chipping away at some of these assumptions that we make about this objectivity that the Enneagram is being taught from. No, it's not being taught objectively. It's being taught subjectively. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. I've loved this episode. There's so many topics and so many ways that we could have even gone with this episode. And I just love how it turned out. So for those who are listening, all of the handles and websites will be in the show notes. You can check those out for sure. And for everyone who's listening, just a reminder, take a deep breath. And uh, if you feel your ego about to act a fool, breathe, take a deep breath and make a better choice and uh, do it for the gram, the Enneagram, of course. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye.